0: Welcome one and all to Arguing About Ari Aster. <laughs> I'm your I'm one of your two uh, co-hosts of the show, Jeremy Schmidt, along with my friend and enemy
1: uh Ari Aster. It's me everybody. Hello. <laughs> Thanks for watching my films. No, folks, I'm joking. Obviously my name is Jeremy Schmidt. Mm-hmm. Folks, another joke. My name is Eric Keppel. Welcome uh, to the program. Uh
0: Eric, I got to tell you um <laughs> I've been performing an an stupa ritual all morning and boy are my hammering arms tired.
1: <laughs> Jeremy that was funny. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Thanks for the acknowledgement. That's all I wanted. Uh, this is a. I, w- I would say this is kind of a part two episode of uh, of uh, our of three episodes we're going to do on Ari Aster. The film director quite young film director at 32 years of age yes uh, who, infuriating infuriating who made the films hereditary and midsummer this is our midsummer episode a film that came out very recently so i uh, i wanted to ask you eric uh you know you've seen have i seen midsummer? well well no no no. i mean i know you've seen it but you'd seen hereditary up until this point uh uh-huh. did you how did you what was your viewing experience like seeing midsummer
1: So my viewing experience was I went to a matinee. I went to one of my favorite movie theaters, which I I mentioned on... uh, There's an episode of our... Chucky Chucky Dark, which is our uh, bonus Patreon show, which you can get for $5 a month, weekly episodes. And we covered uh, some of our favorite cinemas in one of the episodes. And, uh, well, Jeremy, I went to one of my favorite cinemas. Uh, uh, I went to the movie theater at which I... At which I used to work. Oh wow! Um, and it's it's amazing. They used to do. Uh, it's called a Marcus Theater. Is the chain? And they uh, when I worked there, it was kind of just your run of the mill movie theater, akin to like an AMC, but maybe even like a little bit grungier. Um, by by that I mean they played Mud Honey over the <laughs> <laughs> over the speaker. No. Uh, they they installed these seats they have some fancy name for them but they're basically like these pleather like reclining seats mm-hmm. that are just like the most comfortable you could possibly be watching a movie and nice. it's really interesting cuz they sacrificed like the number of seats that are in each theater for these bigger more comfortable like lazy boy type situations and uh so I was cozy as hell while I was watching this film uh and also very uncomfortable for other reasons. <laughs> uh and I saw it uh it was a, a small one of the smaller theaters in the place but uh relatively packed about as crowded as I would have liked it to be and um yeah that's how, that's how I saw the film. Yeah, yeah. What about you?
0: Uh I saw it God, I, you know what? I think it was opening night. I saw it on a... I saw it... Or no, maybe I saw it on a Sunday. Yeah. I saw it maybe... I, wanna, I, I think it was the Sunday after it opened. Um,
1: I want to start seeing films on closing night.
0: On closing night? The the very last <laughs> yeah. night you can? That'd be actually yeah. hard to gauge because I think sometimes they I get know. pulled before closing night because they're not doing, doing so well in the box office. But... Uh, yeah. But this film will not have that problem. It is uh, because of word of mouth and other marketing reasons. This film has been doing great and has uh, garnered an audience um, that has been talking about it like it's like that new, new hot thing. It's like Stranger Things season one. We're all talking about it, you know? Uh, yeah, it's
1: like the uh, the Tamagotchi of our era.
0: No, but I saw this film with uh, my girlfriend and her sister and uh, my good friend Ravi Kieran. And um, yeah, I will say that I was uh, very anxious leading up to, to seeing the film. I Yeah,
1: because you mentioned that you were like, Horrified when you saw Hereditary, mm-hmm. right? Yes, I. am very curious yeah. to hear what your experience was. Did you did you experience the level of sheer horror mm-hmm. that you that engulfed you while watching Hereditary? Um,
0: absolutely not.
1: Not oh, interesting.
0: Not not at all. In fact, um, and we'll get into this. Uh, I guess we can get into it right now. I was initially disappointed with uh with my viewing experience of of midsummer and, and the and the whole reason was because i went into it so freaked out because hereditary had scarred me. Like that viewing experience was so intense, and yeah, I was like, "You had
1: the DVD, and you you accidentally broke it, right? And and, and a shard of the DVD scarred your <laughs> your arm.
0: It, it gave me a nice giant uh, scar across my eye.
1: Yeah, yeah,
0: like a like a like Still a don't Russian know how you villain. did that. Yeah, <laughs> but um, but no, I was so freaked out um of this movie because the trailers had also been so good like those those um those those trailers for midsummer are incredible incredibly well done and um and the rest of the people i was going to see the movie with were also equally as freaked out like we were all in the car ride just going like oh man i feel sick i feel sick even like going to it just knowing that i'm going to be tense for the next two and a half hours and it was a situation where my expectation of it was from a previous film, which was kind of a mistake. Mm -hmm. You know, like, hey, go into every movie knowing it's going to be a different movie. Even if it's by the same people, it's a different film. And I just kept waiting for Midsummer to ramp up the same way that Hereditary did. And it never quite does for me. Um, And I talked with uh, Dad Wears Glasses a little bit about this too. And I think that he... Uh, I had this theory that um, once you see one of Ari Aster's films um, and you see that trick that he kind of does, that it's hard to ever quite be as affected by it the same way twice. But this theory was actually disproven uh, by Dead Glasses, who saw Midsummer first, liked it, oh but cool. didn't but didn't think it was that scary and then saw hereditary and thought it was actually pretty scary and actually and 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 he thought hereditary confer- was scary yes and he confirmed that hereditary he thought it was actually way more scary than midsummer and i think the conclusion that we came to was eric i don't think midsummer is supposed to be a horror film in the same way that hereditary is
1: no not at all i would i 100 percent agree with that yeah yeah. Um, so all yeah, that disappointment
0: I was, I think, kind of unfounded only because I was, I was treating it like it was the previous film when I should have been kind of watching it on its own terms, which I think I would have had a better time. But since viewing the film as time has gone on and the more I read about it and the more I learn, I've actually grown to love the film way more do. than my initial viewing experience allowed me to.
1: Yeah, something that I've learned about Ari Aster because I've got I've done like the deep dive of just like listening to interviews with him and and, and reading a lot of analysis from weirdos on the internet about his stuff and uh, which I guess we're both <laughs> weirdos on the internet too, but yeah, I'd um, say so. <laughs> but he he his short films that preceded Hereditary are mostly a lot he does some very interesting character studies and some really good drama stuff and a little bit of like not even horror but like suspense um but he's really into like dark uncomfortable comedy um and i was listening to an interview with him the other day and he uh he was doing a job interview at the nearby gas station no he was doing an interview <laughs> uh <laughs> with uh uh, some some podcast, I don't know. Ari, if you're listening and you're you're thirsty for more podcast interviews, uh, hit us. Email
0: up. Email us, baby. We want to get you <laughs> yeah. on the show.
1: Yeah. Also, Ari, you got some money from this mid midsummer. Why don't you uh, shell out some cash for the Patreon? <laughs> I mean, w-
0: yeah, subscribe to a Patreon that's about you.
1: But what I was getting at is he uh, he talks a little bit about his sort of influence in horror. Um, and he's always kind of been fascinated with like the grotesque, but he's not like a horror guy. He, he, he's actually said in this interview that he's got his next project is going to be one of two things. He has it down to like two different scripts that he's written and neither of them are horrors. He see, he said not to expect a horror movie from the next one. Mm. And what I didn't realize I mean going into hereditary he just executed uh, the, the genre and elevated it so much where you just kind of assume that this is like the new horror guy and I actually think it's kind of cool that he uh, that he is is isn't even that like interested in horror like he obviously is to a pretty extreme ex- extent but it's not his main thing, I don't think right. Um, and Midsommar was the first movie where I got that where I got that impression. Um, I I think I I can't remember if I mentioned this on the *Hereditary* episode. We had different viewing experiences in terms of the audience because you said your audience was g- laughing a lot. Yeah, um, uh, my
0: audience f- somehow found the dark humor of the film to be quite entertaining. They laughed at almost every point where it was even kind of questionable whether or not they should be laughing if that makes sense right um yeah they found it to be very funny
1: for me the crowd was like dead silent except for like a few of the kind of like off the cuff lines that are like li- little like lines here and there that were supposed to be kind of funny and there were a few moments that are just so absurd that you simply have to laugh Jeremy. Ex- but,
0: ex- exactly yeah
1: but it seems like you had way more of that than me and um after after seeing like I didn't watch this as a comedy at all when I was even a dark comedy or a satire or anything, um, and then afterwards I was I biked to, to the movie theater and on the bike ride back, um, and yes, ladies, I work out, <laughs> uh, and and, uh, and I also don't have a car where I'm at. Uh, sexy. <laughs> wait, I'm gonna cut that part out. That was probably not a good thing to say. Uh, does it help that I that I'm in my parents' basement right now? Does that <laughs> help Ooh, my case? Sexy. Um. <laughs> so I'm gonna I'm gonna like lower the octave of your voice when you say <laughs> yeah, that. By the way, yeah, like Ferris um,
0: Bueller's guys, the d- but, people who do the song.
1: Yeah, but on this, on this bike ride home, I thought a lot about the movie and just kind of like zoomed out a bit and thought about all the bizarre, over-the-top stuff that I just had to witness, and I was like, this is really funny. So sure. I want to tell you, Jeremy, Um, so this is what we're going to do in this episode. I think we're going to go through, we're definitely at the end going to go through the plot, kind of like point by point, uh, like we normally do with films, Um. And we'll, we'll talk about, like, our overall feelings about it. But I would like to just jump right into talking about um, what the movie kind of, like, means to you. Like, what, what sort of uh, interpretation you have, what kind of themes you picked up on. Um, the first thing that I thought when I, when I was on this bike ride thinking about the film was I was like, oh, this was, like, a very funny just way over the top and dark satire of like ethnocentrism for, and like cultural relativism, right mm-hmm. from the perspective of like the United States and, and this culture being so like afraid or judgmental of other cultures. And, and, and it also kind of has this like uh, sexuality and religion is tied into it. And I kind of thought that that's what Ari Aster was going for, which I, found out later is not at all what 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 he was going for so what was your like initial
0: i've i've read a few things about what ari aster thinks the film is about and i think it's totally valid to have your to take away what you will from it because there there definitely is that thing you just said eric happening in the film i would say it's undeniable there's there's no way you can have a group of americans going to a swedish commune and it not at least somewhat be be talking about nationalism you know like uh ethno yeah ethnocentrism is something you you mentioned um or just the fear of the capital o other right like the fear the fear of travel fear of uh anyone who lives outside the united states um uh but
1: but fear of sweden
0: fear of sweden which was a new one i didn't know i had apparently i do now um but yeah, no, I think for me, what I pulled from it was... Um, and maybe this is because of something of things that I personally have been going through lately is just this profound fear of death and this profound fear of um, what happens when you die and losing people and losing people for good and what that means. Mm-hmm. And what I pulled from it was just how human beings will find in even the most unlikely places an answer for, for this big ultimate question, even if it does hurt those around them, even if it does sort of not make any sense or, you know, or buck traditional American values. Um, I, I read this film as a, as, as, as a metaphor for the grieving process and how we handle that and the things that we tell ourselves and sort of the places we find solace in, in these moments of extreme um, bereavement. Now, I think Ari Aster thinks that the film is a, basically a relationship drama or like a dark comedy about, about what it means to break up with somebody. Because I think he was going through a breakup at the time and that's sort of what he's aping on in the story from what I can tell from his perspective. But for me, it was right. all about, you know, the character of Pell how she loses people she loves in the beginning and how this cult essentially gives her an answer to that. And it doesn't look pretty to our American eyes, but it is an answer. And it's something that when you're so, when you're so overwhelmed with tragedy, any answer is good.
1: Yeah, I, I, I definitely. What? Yeah, I was referring to uh, what you mentioned, which is Ari Aster, had kind of described this as he was writing a very dark breakup story, and after I heard that, that's when I kind of like soured on the film. I was like, well, that's completely different than what I took out of it, and in in a way, like maybe less of a. I don't know, like a thing that's relevant to me at this point in time or something. Sure. Or, or it's,
0: or the way it's, when it's described that way, it, it also makes it sound kind of more boring than the film is. Yeah. The film is much more interesting than, than just a uh, metaphor right. for a bad relationship. Yeah.
1: But at the same time, he's also in other interviews um, described it as, as a fairy tale, which I very much get. Um, and uh, I have been reading, just going crazy, like reading Reddit threads about different people's interpretations, and I learn about, like, I realized that there were certain themes going on that I didn't even, you know, think about at the time, mm-hmm. and, um, you know, there's all this, th- there's a lot of, like, religious subtext and, and pagan uh, 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 references and, and right. things like this, and all this stuff that I never would have picked up on. And at a certain point, I was just like, "This is like, I'm reading this like thread, and and, and every single one of these people who has got a different interpretation of this movie has a point, and that's kind of awesome. Like, yeah. it almost at a certain point, doesn't matter what Ari Aster's intentions were, um, and I I kind of think that that maybe he 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 seems like someone who just kind of wants to start." conversation anyway with his work, but, um, but yeah, when, and, and when he was, uh, there was something else I was going to say, but, um, I forgot. I oh yeah. No, lost I, I, my memory.
0: Well, let me echo what, what you just said by saying that I think all great films should be aiming for that, right? To start a conversation. Mm-hmm. I find it to be sort of irritating when films, are so inclined to wrap up in such a definitive way or they leave you with such a feeling of i guess wholeness or completion like as if life is that simple you know like i think midsummer and how it's 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 very similar to hereditary in a lot of ways but it's different in this one key way in that it it doesn't it doesn't meet you halfway at all mm-hmm. You have to go to it and you have to research it. Thus, the interpretations for this film can be vast and broad. They can be wild because it, there's, there's almost a lack of information in this film. And I felt like that yeah. was the biggest difference between Hereditary and Midsummer is that I felt like I had all the information I needed in Hereditary to make a pretty accurate assessment or judgment of what that film was about. At least what the right. film's plot was about. But with Midsummer, there was a shocking lack of information given to us in the two and a half hour runtime, and this was my original gripe with the film that I've kind of relaxed on, but in in a two and a half hour long film, there are a lot of scenes of things happening that seemingly don't really need to be there or don't actually progress the 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 story further or don't actually add to the plot at all uh and here's an example um we know from the beginning of this film that that cult is lying (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) they're lying they're lying so any scene where you see them lying to people in my mind is kind of a waste of time because it's like yeah we, we we're already ahead of you here and i think that there are quite a few scenes in midsummer that are like that. I do not think this is a perfect film, but I think it's an interesting film. It's definitely one worth pulling apart. Do you want to get started yeah. on the uh, on all the production stuff and then get into the plot? Well,
1: just a few. Just one more thing. When when Ari is like talking in these interviews about Midsummer, and by the way, we're covering all the bases. Jeremy's saying Midsummer. I'm saying Midsummer. Mm-hmm. So you can't be mad at us, folks. Don't be mad. <laughs> if you if you're gonna tweet something angry at us, I guess go ahead. Tweet at us oca- at <laughs> Ocarina of Crime. Uh,
0: Wait a minute, Eric. That's um, just my Twitter. Uh, <laughs> oh, is it? Yeah.
1: Okay, forward the forward those to me, <laughs> okay, listeners. I, I'm not gonna read them, uh, folks. But uh, in Ari Aster, he he, when it comes to questions about themes and inspiration, like story wise. Um, he's really he thinks really hard about what he's gonna say in these interviews. And um you kind of get the sense that he is one of these people, and I don't think this is a bad thing at all that just kind of like um thing there's certain things that people take out of his films that he doesn't even intend to. and it's just because it's the way his brain works and it's something that he wants to get out. Um, Through film That maybe he's not even consciously thinking about And even if it's not That it's, it's like It's interesting Enough that like a single Human mind can come up with This or hereditary to me Where it's just like I, I don't even care that it was and if this viewing this as a breakup story, if this was presented to me at a break as a breakup story, I would have thought it was a comedy 100%. Um, but yeah. And uh, the other thing I wanted to go over and I guess this kind of transitions into production is he was filming uh, this while the theatrical release of Hereditary was happening. Yes. So he didn't even, like, uh, have to, like... He wasn't around for, like, the response to Hereditary, which I think it sounds like he was happy that he didn't... uh, Obviously, it got a great response, but he he was, like, kind of thought that that was, like, a good way to go, in a way, for him, creatively.
0: It's curious that that was happening, because I feel like... Um, I feel like that informs uh, some of the, some of the I don't know some of the trivia on on Midsummer, which um we'll go through we'll go through right now. So yeah. basically,
1: Actu- Jeremy, real yeah. quick, yeah, real quick because we we haven't covered this. Um, so we're doing we're doing the arguing about Aster, and mm-hmm. um we are also going to be covering uh, at least some of Ari Aster's short films. Um, right. in uh two bonus episodes. And you can listen to those, plus our entire backlog of weekly bonus episodes for 5 bucks on our Patreon. You can find it on our Twitter. Um, And uh, there's also tons of other tiers where you can request stuff for us to to do episodes on. You can come on as a guest at a certain tier. uh, And there's a $1 tier where you can just support us just to kind of say thanks. Um, So, yeah. Just wanted to throw that in there, Jeremy. Hell yeah. Carry on.
0: Everybody, at least donate a dollar, we'll shout you out on the podcast. We're, we're, we're voices for hire, me and Eric.
1: Yeah, and if you don't, if no one does the $1 tier, we're just going to start making up shout-outs to make it sound like people are. So, uh... Yeah. I'm, th- that goes out for you, uh... Ron Lemonade.
0: Ron Lemonade. What a yep. guy! You know he donates at our highest tier. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, uh, let's get into some of the some of the 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 boring or info about this Ari Aster uh, modern classic Midsummer. I'm sleeping uh, already. It is directed by Ari Aster and written by Ari Aster. It is produced by Lars Knutsen, who uh, also helped produce the last film. Um, It is curious that how this film ended up getting into production around the same time as Hereditary was premiering, because I feel like that informs the budget. Hereditary had a budget of $10 million. Midsummer has a budget of about $10 million. So I kind of wonder if they had known that Hereditary was going to be the success that it was, if that budget would have increased or maybe they would have given him some more time. Cause it sounds like he made right. the deal to shoot this film sort of pre hereditary success or him proving himself on hereditary. Um, yeah. Uh, he was also approached by, um, by his, the production company to shoot a Swedish horror film. So that wasn't even really his idea to begin Interesting. with. Yeah. So um
1: was it A twenty four at that point?
0: It was A twenty four, yeah, yeah. Okay.
1: A twenty four by the way, Google A twenty four films, I've know, I know that a lot of good movies that I like are done through A twenty four, but their roster is like hit after hit. They haven't done a bad film. Yeah. From what I've seen.
0: Right. Yeah. No. No. It's it's great. It's all their stuff is, is is really great. Um, yeah. Apparently Ari Aster did not originally want to um to do the film because he couldn't find a way into the story. Mm. So yeah, A twenty four were like we want a slasher film set in Sweden, and uh, ultimately he devised a story which the two central characters are experiencing relationship tensions verging on break on breakup on a breakup Mm -hmm. and wrote the surrounding screenplay around that theme. Um, He describes it as a breakup movie dressed in the uh, clothes of a folk horror film, which makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. Uh, This film has an unusual, uh, uh, what would you call this? Uh, It's from it being filmed to it premiering, it is exactly one year. It is an unusually tight timeline, oh. so oh. I, you don't want to say the word "rushed" necessarily. Yeah,
1: but I remember it, it was going to come out in August, and then for some reason it got bumped up to July. Yeah, to which, to, to June yeah. or June. Yeah yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. The film was greenlit May eighteenth, twenty eighteen, and premiered June eighteenth, twenty nineteen. Unusually short production period for a wide release theatrical film. I think that's probably not. So unusual for a shorter run film or like a smaller smaller mm. film, but this has a wide theatrical release. Um, yeah. So uh, there's also another Swedish film, <laughs> a Danish cult classic called Midsummer that came out in 2003. They are not related at all. Okay. And uh, I think the last most interesting thing about uh, sort of the wind up leading up to midsummer is that the film was originally given an NC 17 rating. Oh, they cut around 30 minutes of the film's content yeah. to get it that rated R. Uh, so, oh, okay. A director's cut is planned for home and video release. So we will yes. get to see all the shit that they cut from this movie, which I can't even imagine what that is. Uh, we'll, I
1: don't even want to. I don't really want to. Watch to. Yeah,
0: <laughs> I am going to watch every second of it, because here on uh, arguing about Aster, we we don't skip out on the gr- on the gruesome, grotesque, and downright naughty. Um,
1: I'm Jeremy. Uh, yeah. Correction. I, I'm I'm going to skip out on the naughty. All the naughty stuff is just going to be you by yourself.
0: Okay. I'll take uh waiter. I will actually take his naughty from his burger. Put it on my burger.
1: <laughs> um, Wait, are you in a are you in a, 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 a house of pies or something right now You're just at a <laughs> yeah restaurant
0: well this is where i live eric uh <laughs> you caught me i'm destitute uh yeah, you no. sleep on the pies <laughs> <laughs> uh <clears throat> this film was uh, sh- uh the cinematographer for this film was again powell P- pogorzelski the same mm-hmm. cinematographer for hereditary um and it was uh, the music, however, was not done by the same composer, uh, Colin Stetson, rather by the Hackson Cloak. I did not know that. Yes. Did do, are you a fan of the Hackson Cloak?
1: I don't. I didn't know them previously, but I know it's like one guy I think who yes. um, worked with Colin Stetson on Hereditary, maybe. But um, their his music. Uh, Ari Esther said that he he was listening to his music while he was writing the script, which I thought was interesting.
0: yeah, it's um incredible atmospheric sort of electronic uh, music. The only way to other mm-hmm. way to describe it is the Hacks and cloak kind of sounds like a film score for a really dark film, yeah, but it's but it's not
1: until now.
0: Um, <laughs> so you want to get into the plot?
1: Jeremy, let's dive into the plot. Let's take a quick break, though, and uh, quick break listen before to we some.
0: Dive into the plot.
1: Exciting commercials. Get your trunks on, folks. We'll see you on the other side.
0: Coming to you live this morning from the Mushroom Kingdom, WKBAG Studios, Wario K. Rule, Bowser, Gan, and this is Video Games, A Comedy Show, the only video game podcast that is funny at all. Join the Radio Morning Zoo Tycoon crew as we explore topics such as video game characters who eat stuff. And sure, Kratos is a father, but is he the ultimate daddy? Video Games, A Comedy Show is a part of the Schmidt Cast family of podcasts. So subscribe for a brand new episode every Monday morning. You can find it anywhere podcasts are heard. That's video games a comedy show (laughs) and welcome back to arguing about aster i'm of course still your host jeremy schmidt along with my friend till the end eric keppel
1: what did you call me friend till the end Uh I just realized that this is called arguing about aster for the wordplay, but we do absolutely no arguing whatsoever.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah, was that an attempt to start an argument?
1: Yeah, it was, but I, <laughs> I, I think we're both very like, what's it called when you just like avoid conflict at all costs? Yeah, the, cowards. Yeah, I, yeah, we're both cowards. <laughs> and, no, uh, you're you're a you're a coward, and I'm a pacifist. Sure, sure.
0: What whatever helps you get to sleep at night. I'll tell yeah, you what I doesn't help me fight. get to sleep at night is midsummer, Boy, oh boy. A uh, lot, lot of nights uh, sitting sittin up in bed, thinking about this film, doing research, yeah, trying to figure out what means what, who means who, who even is who, what was said, what movie did I see? Wait, Toy Story 4. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So, uh, but we're about to get into the plot. Um, the film uh begins with some drama between Danny Arder, the main character, played by uh, Florence Pug? Yep. Is that how you'd say
1: her name? Pug? Yeah. She's um, or Pug, maybe. She's a she's a British lady.
0: Yes, Pug. Maybe it's Pug uh she is distraught she is worried she is freaking out because her sister is gone kind of mia so we kind of get the sequence of her just wrestling with her anxiety about that um she's trying to call her parents we see we see this shot of her parents asleep in bed um we realize that they're just okay they're just sleeping they're not going to answer the phone whatever
1: This is a very, not to stop immediately, but mm -hmm. this is a very, like, very modern horror set. Like, I'm immediately sympathetic to her because I know this situation, uh, not to this extreme, but just like trying to get a hold of someone in an age where it's like, almost impossible not to be able to get a hold of someone.
0: Yes, I love that you put it that way cuz that is exactly the type of fear I think it's tapping into. Yeah. Which is like there's absolutely no reason why you you can't email me, text me back, call me back something to let me know that you're okay. And you kind of get the sense just from her attitude and her talking to people on the phone trying to get some solace that she her sister has it does this a lot. That yep. her sister's a bit of a a bit of a drama queen. Maybe a little attention seeking. I mean, you know, the film has just started. We don't really know all the specifics, but that's kind of what we're led to believe.
1: Yeah. Uh well she, I walked out after this, so <laughs> I still don't know the specifics.
0: Yeah. She calls her boyfriend Christian Hughes. Uh Jack Rayner, I believe, is the actor who plays Christian Hughes. Mm-hmm. Christian is at like a local diner with his shithead buddies, uh, yeah. and they're all kind of sitting around talking um, about how, you know, hey, are you gonna? Are you still together with this girl? I thought you were gonna break up. They're kind of bouncing back and forth all these ideas, kind of saying like, look, you need your freedom. Like she's 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 never giving you any space. It's all that kind of yes. trite like douchebaggery that you get from a lot of a lot of broheems who are trying to be helpful, but are ultimately just being really yeah, selfish and particularly, petty.
1: Particularly, I forget his name, but the one guy that looks like John a Mulaney. young John Mulaney. Yeah, <laughs> yeah,
0: his name would be Mark. Like uh, Mark. Mark is my boy. Mark is bae. Uh I ride I with heard Mark. It. I ride until I die with Mark.
1: I heard a good interview with Mark about with the actor who plays Mark. By the way, who who he he talks about how Mark and I felt this in watching the film, where there are moments where he does things that are in theory supposed to be funny in like another movie, but people weren't really laughing at in in my screening. Hmm. And he, the way he put it, is he was trying to tap into like. You're kind of like laugh. If you're laughing, you're laughing like at Mark rather than than with him. Like yes, he's like very pathetic. In that right,
0: way. but but on uh, but the other side of that coin is what the things he's actually saying are very funny. So <laughs> you kind of have Sometimes, this. Yeah, you, you have this weird sort of whiplash effect, or maybe you could just call it the South Park effect, where someone is saying a joke that is funny in like an american pie comedy way but it's also you're laughing at mark so it's like kind of both that's sort of the south park right. laugh to me feels like it's a little both it's a little like are we laughing at the racist or because <laughs> he's being racist you know yeah. what i mean um but i but either way i i in my in my screening of it the theater was uproariously laughing at all of this kind of douchebag dialogue because it's it's so over the it's not over the top performed it's just like it's just i think it effectively being juxtaposed with ultimate tragedy so you have this person who's like freaking out and so anxious and and so melodramatic and her life is kind of falling apart kind of cut with just the worst dick and fart humor you could imagine. Yeah. yeah. And that's sort of an effective way, I think, to sort of couch the thing that happens next, which is eventually the the shoe drops on the situation. And we find out that Danny's sister actually has killed herself by running two different cars in a, um, in a closed garage but somehow hosing the exhaust straight from the cars into not only her own room but her parents room as well yeah so she, she doesn't ho- just...
1: she duct tapes the hose to her face too which yes is brutal
0: it's so brutal to see because you can also see clearly there's vomit all over her from yeah. where she uh, likely vomited and the duct tape around her face just further solidifies how serious she was about doing this. Like, and I think that's, that's what's so traumatic about this scene. So first of all, it's shot incredibly well. It's most of it is in slow motion as you're, as all this information is being revealed to you. And you're also getting like, what is wailing violins that just keep crashing into each other in almost like an Alfred Hitchcock kind of way, like a psycho way. Um, and it's not the first time, it's not the only time you'll hear that, but it is the first time you kind of get this like, whoa, this score is unsettling and unnerving, but also beautiful at the same time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, and then and then of course she kills the parents too. So that's like why they weren't obviously answering their phone. It is a one-two punch to the gut for Danny that I feel like, I mean, if you weren't already sympathetic to her as a performer, because I think she's quite striking from um from yeah the film's opening this definitely just f- bonds you immediately to her yeah, for the rest of the that scene
1: film. that scene with her like w- and Christian on the couch and she's just like wailing uh it, very similar to in a way that uh Annie does after after Charlie dies in hereditary yeah um it's, I mean, it's brutal, and you just immediately, yeah, you immediately feel sympathetic to her, um, and that whole that whole thing was the moment, uh, I think I talked about this in the Hereditary episode, but that, for me, is like the Charlie getting decapitated moment from yes. Midsommar, it's like, okay, we're in for, uh, this is like the very beginning of the film, and right. uh, we're in for a ride that might not be pleasant.
0: Exactly. Yeah, that was um, that was the first. I guess if we're still calling it a BMX bike, which I prefer that we did. Uh, that's <laughs> yeah. the first wheelie pop. No, it is. Yeah. Uh, it is. It is very reminiscent of that scene in Hereditary, and I would say that it was at that point when I was like, you know what, Ari Aster, we can definitively say, like, loves scenes about intense grieving. <laughs>
1: like, wait. Jeremy, what did you say? I was too busy doing a nose wheelie on my mongoose.
0: Oh, (laughs) my dude. Tell me you got those grind bars coming out the spokes.
1: Yeah. I mean, my parents, it made me take them off, actually. They're (laughs) kind of dangerous.
0: Yeah. They will clip a a, a pedestrian if you're not careful. So, um, yeah, you're right. We do get this intense scene of grieving with Christian and Danny. Yeah. I didn't notice this the first time watching the film, but I noticed this, uh, but someone had had pointed this out in some things that I was reading, that if you kind of watch the performances here, you can catch how Danny is obviously grieving at maximum capacity for grieve, while Christian is holding her, but in sort of this, I don't know, in a way that you might say is emotionless or kind of distant yeah, it it kind of elicits this thing of like he's just doing it out of obligation, not super. I don't know, not really feeling it along along with her. Would you say that's a
1: safe assumption to make, there, Eric? Yeah, he he doesn't want to be there. Yeah, um, and I think he doesn't that want that, to have to deal with this.
0: Right. Yeah, and I think that that is a had I noticed that would have been a a really great um, appetizer for some actually, of what is going to happen to come. Yeah.
1: I actually have a theory that maybe he was gonna dump her before this uh, the the Sweden trip, and because this happened, he's like, "Well, I can't necessarily dump her now." Right. I mean, it would be mean to do that. Although he proceeds to be mean <laughs> in every way possible.
0: Yeah, and like, in it's mean in the grossest way that you don't often actually see in film. Like, because he's actually not. He's not trying to be mean to her or his friends or anyone. He's just so consumed with his himself. He's so selfish and self-centered that he literally cannot see anyone else around him and cannot Mm -hmm. empathize, sympathize. Um, So you end up getting like really butthole-ish like dialogue from Christian but you can also kind of see like where he's coming from, not in an empathetic way, but in like a, yeah, I see how you got there, but like, why don't you wake the yeah. f- up and you know, console your girlfriend, you monster? Yeah, anyways. Um, so, yeah, I
1: should mention there's a point where we they make a point of showing uh, a mural or some like some piece of art with a bear featured on it over Florence's or uh, uh, Danny's bed. Oh, interesting. I can't remember the exact contents of it, but it's like very like you notice it. Yeah. Um, And one thing that I've read a lot and heard a lot of the people involved in the film saying is is to pay attention to the walls in this movie, which Mm -hmm. I'm really excited. I am going to go see this again, probably while it's still in theaters. Mm -hmm. Because apparently like if you look at the walls, there's I mean, there's. I wasn't like examining it. Well, I it, I was registering it, but a lot of these scenes interiors have like things on the walls that I guess, kind of elevate what what happens throughout the film, in a way. So oh sure, know. yeah. I just wanted to point out that's like the first, I guess, instance of that happening. And I I wish I could remember what the bear is doing in the right mural, but I on. would
0: I, I will say that um. Uh, to give listeners some sort of frame of reference for, uh, I guess, what kind of f- style film, if it's like, if it's like it'd been an itch, they just can't scratch. Like what kind of film is this? Or what does this remind me of? It is most like a Kubrick film. I think it's most, it's mostly Kubrickian in the way that it's showing you images of things that are very specific. Everything is, su- is where it belongs and is supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And it's telling you a one story, a story on one hand, wh- whereas it's also kind of telling you the second story, in the meta or in the subcon as yeah. it's, as it's going along, and like just like in a Kubrick fashion, you're getting a lot of like props and paintings and you know the names of businesses and things. all of that stuff yeah. is supposed to be telling you this other kind of story, but almost like in a dreamlike way that you're not even maybe registering or super conscious of so like yes yeah, right. seeing an image of a bear in the background is almost like preparing you for more images that you will be seeing later uh yeah that 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 to me f- just feels very kubrickian but um yes agreed but yeah so uh specifically the shining i think is like one where you could pull a lot pull a lot of images from that probably mean have double meanings
1: I don't know what you're talking about. I've never heard a single person say a conspiracy theory about the movie The (laughs) Shining.
0: I like this character. He's like guy who's never heard of Room
1: 203. (laughs) (laughs) Which is like most guys, I guess. Most, but
0: also people don't know about that. Yeah, okay. So uh, yeah, so we basically get a lot of of post-mortem stuff with Danny and uh, her going to parties with Christian. Uh, She kind of finds out at a party that Christian has actually been planning on going to Sweden with his buddies this whole time and hasn't really told her. Mm -hmm. And like, I I, I remember her saying something in the conversation of like, look, I'm not even mad at you. I just want to understand. Just talk to me about it. And like, she kind of begs him not to leave. And it's kind of awful, like watching her kind of grovel. I just, I, I hated it. But, uh, Throughout through this, I guess she kind of convinces Christian to let her go to Sweden, or he, out of some sort of weird feeling bad for her, invites her to come.
1: Yeah, that was yeah. my interpretation.
0: Right, and um, and then we get more hilarity with Mark and the boys when she like comes over to his apartment, and uh, Mark is sitting with the Swedish guy, whose name is Harga. No, that's I don't that's remember the name exactly. The... Olaf? Something no. like that. Something like Olaf. Oh, no, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Pell. Pell is yeah, her Pel, name. Pell Pel is yeah. her name. Yeah, 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 yeah. Huh?
1: Yeah. What?
0: Is it Pele? Oh, my girlfriend is Pele. sitting across from me. She's 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 saying Pele.
1: Oh, okay. Um, Your girlfriend isn't going to want some of the, a cut of the Patreon.
0: (laughs) No, I, I don't believe so. Not yet anyway. (laughs) And if she does, then I'll simply just not take any more, uh, suggestions. Uh, so yeah, let me get my, oh yeah. So yeah, we get this scene on the couch with, uh, Pele and uh, Danny where not only does he kind of like brighten up to the idea of her going on the trip, but he kind of also like tries to, I don't know, relate to her a little bit by mentioning his parents were also killed. And this is a lot for Danny to handle. So she gets up, goes into the bathroom that turns into the airplane bathroom.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Very cool.
0: Yeah. It's a very cool, shot it's a very cool scene and she just kind of loses it in the bathroom and man it is just more grieving more of a portrayal of grieving it's it's all it's all very good but i also love that it like completely i don't know as the when the plane lands in sweden we get this complete transformation of setting where everything was sort Mm -hmm. of cold and in and I i feel like a lot of scenes happened at night in darkness It felt everything felt very urban or like suburban at least. And then when we get to Sweden, everything is bright, shiny, happy. Yes. And I think that's yeah.
1: This is a bright. Hereditary is a very visually dark horror movie. This is a very bright horror movie, and I can't even think of. I struggle to think of a single horror movie that could be considered like bright or or was like lit.
0: (laughs) Well, famously um and i think when we get towards the end when we start kind of comparing this film to other things that that it reminded you of texas chainsaw massacre is a a film that's very famously done most of it is in the daytime and i and and to me poltergeist is another great example of a film where where a lot of the scares do happen during the day Um, yeah but yeah so or at least in like well-lit areas and that's also the case with a film that we compared Hereditary to, which was Rosemary's Baby, which is another film I feel like you could compare Midsummer to. But anyways, so we land the plane, we get in the car, Mark and the boys, as I'll refer to this gang of people, (laughs) uh, they drive into the commune where Pele is, uh, apparently he's from here. Yeah. And um, he's bringing his friends to kind of spend the summer, summer there. And yeah. they, uh, um, they, they drive. There's a, yeah.
1: It's fly if the girls stop by for the summer.
0: Yeah. To, to put it lightly, <laughs> in layman's yeah. terms.
1: Yeah. Um, Sorry.
0: <laughs> we do get this. Uh, he explains also, I think, at this point, that the Midsummer Celebration is something that occurs only every 90 years. So it's very important. And then we get that cool shot of the car. Driving in and goes upside down And we see the sign upside mm-hmm. down As we're driving in
1: I was like, "Is did, did they actually Accidentally flip the projector upside down What the <laughs> hell is going on <laughs> at this place
0: What's happening <laughs> Um, Yeah, so they make it into the commune And uh, we're introduced to Pele's brother, which I'm never actually Sure if it is his brother Actual brother, like blood brother Ingmar Um because they say brother, but then Ingmar immediately is like, we've known each other since we were little. And so mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, okay. I don't know
1: whether it's his actual brother. No, I think he says, he says brother, I think.
0: Yeah. Yeah, he says brother for sure. Yeah. um, But his brother Ingmar has brought two British people with him, Simon uh-huh. and Connie. And they're a young couple who are very much in love, very young. And then we kind of get this moment, and I wanted to get your... What well, your take on this moment but it's like we just landed we're about to be vacationing let's do the drugs and they <laughs> yeah. all just start doing the drugs immediately yeah. um, right
1: and mark mark really is like all about it and couldn't think of a how someone could possibly not want to just take uh mushrooms at that point yeah exactly um, yeah right at that yeah. point i mean the and guys Danny, like mark
0: freak me out they're yeah. so eager to jump in, and it's like, "Hey, guy, let's find out where we're sleeping first.
1: Right, and Danny, yeah, they're not even to their final destination yet. No, really, which <laughs> no. dishing about destination, folks, stay tuned. Oh, and uh, uh, about we'll be destination. All the destination movies, but no, uh, floor. Uh, I-, I keep calling her Florence, but Danny, uh, is like really hesitant. This is to me, it was like one of the most just. I felt so bad for her in this moment like there's no more of a like delicate worse situation to be in to mm-hmm. to, to to do something like this like I mean really really a recipe for a disaster or a mental breakdown or something
0: yeah and I mean th- that's also uh, there's an additive quality here of the fact that the sun doesn't go down We're told kind of immediately that, like, you know, they're kind of going, like, what time is it? It's, like, 9 p.m. And the sun is just bright up in the sky. Yeah. So you're getting this already you're in a dream, like a new location feels like a dream, new country, Mm -hmm. new customs. Then you're taking mushrooms. So it's, like, Mm -hmm. a dream within a dream. And then you're basically in, like, a never-ending sunlight type situation. So it's... It's a lot. It's a lot to throw at somebody right off, right fresh off the boat, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah so, thus, uh, Danny freaks out. She kind of is having a bad trip. She thinks people are laughing at her at some point. Uh-huh. Um, she starts to run into the woods, kind of. She sees... or no, no, no. She runs into a bathroom. Uh, she lights a match or turns on a light or something and sees an image of a man behind her. Yeah. And this freaks her out. And then she bursts out of that room. And then I think just runs into the woods until she collapses. Right.
1: Yeah. Um, I was reading a little bit about the sound design and something that they did for these moments. Um, a lot of the dialogue when they're, when they're sober, um, is very like, there's not a lot of like ambience there or, or like environmental sounds there's, there's just kind of It sounds like they're talking in a vacuum In a way Where mm-hmm. as when they're on When they're on psychedelics um, They add in And this is something I didn't notice And like no one would really notice uh, Except for on a subconscious level But they add in during those scenes Like forest sounds And like birds chirping And you know like wind And stuff like that um, to to I guess make it more of a I I I don't know like a more like visceral experience, and uh, yeah, I just really wanted to shout out like how well done those that's done Ari Aster has clearly gone to a Coachella and watched the, uh, <laughs> the chain smokers under the influence of a of a jewel or two.
0: Yeah, I was my my first joke. Walking out of the theater was like, "Damn, that sure was a takedown of Burning Man," (laughs) because it just that is also sort of I feel like an element of this film that it's it's kind of picking on, which is like this sort of like free love communal type overprivileged rich white experience, uh, Mm -hmm. something like a Burning Man where it's just so fake and full of phonies. But they're acting like, you know, we live off the playa and and all of this and yeah. all this kind of bullshit that's, of course, very easy for a lot of them to do because they have the money to
1: do it. Um, I don't remember if you said this, but, like, the setup to this is, like, Pele's family, this is, like, this big tradition we, we covered. But um, the, uh, I forget the character's name, but there's that, the one guy who's working, initially working on the, his thesis about it. Yeah. Uh, and And that's kind of like... W- the reason that he's there, basically. Um, so we're uh, we we have a character that's like going into this with a very like analytical, uh, yeah. intentions. Jo-
0: Josh is his name.
1: Josh, yeah,
0: yeah. So Josh is, uh, yeah, he's doing his thesis on this this culture and has been preparing to do that. And you know, immediately when he gets there, he is. Yeah, he's like less inclined to like want to trip out with everybody and party. He's more like there for work. Yeah. Um, so they arrive. We arrive at uh, the Harga, which is of course in Halsing Halsingland. Halsingland. That's the name Good of the enough. province where Harga <laughs> is located. Yeah. It's um, it's like a big sort of open, green, lush field in the middle, uh-huh. surrounded by a bunch of woods. Uh, It Mm kind of feels like it's a fortress on all sides by forest, but basically you cannot see a building for miles that wasn't built by those people. Right. It kind of looks like what you think a little commune in Sweden would look like, and everyone's dressed up in basically white gowns,
1: yeah, I mean, it looks like a cult. <laughs> yeah, it, it like, looks, looks very looks much like, like a cult. cult.
0: And I think what adds to the eeriness of the cult is the fact that it's all white people. I think that is yeah. something that we should mention. Is like, yep. it is shocking to see that many white people, <laughs> yeah. like non, no diverse faces, uh, to the point where I couldn't really tell people apart. I don't know, Eric, did you have that issue? I couldn't really tell a lot of the people apart.
1: Yeah, there was a lot of like the like weird like older pe- like the older men were like mm-hmm. very creepy to me and similar uh, looking yeah. I thought. Yes. Yeah. Um but yeah.
0: So um we get, we get to start meeting a lot of the people um you know, there's a lot of that free love kind of situation going around. People are kind of touching each other's faces, smiling at each other, dancing. I think at one point we meet the red haired uh, lady who has mm. eyes for Christian. Yep. And uh, they do and a little. She
1: she never comes up again in the film. Right, Jeremy? <laughs>
0: yeah, right. Yeah. We never see her again. She does that little thing in the trailer where she does the little run and then kicks his side. Almost yeah. like, uh, you know, it felt to me at the time and this ended up being the truth, but like it felt like she was marking him. Yeah. A little bit there. Uh, yeah. So we all sit down for a little dinner and then out of, uh, out of the house, we have the two oldest people, I guess in the tribe, they come out, everyone eats, they start doing a little ceremonial wailing and, and yelling these two old mm-hmm. people. And then we get to witness what in their culture is called an at which is, the two commune elders commit senicide by leaping from a clifftop to their oh, death.
1: Oh, is that what that's called?
0: Yeah, like a, like sen- senicide for seniors. So it's like committing suicide because oh, okay. you're
1: older, committing... Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. Uh, killing the elderly is basically what the definition of that is.
1: Yeah, this was really shocking, and uh, <laughs> yeah. didn't see it coming, and um, I uh, was repulsed by it. I I hated it, but I but I, I liked it <laughs> at the same time.
0: Yeah, this was so. If the if the if the moment when we realize that her family has basically uh, all been killed is the moment from Hereditary where. Tony Collette is grieving. This would be the actual the, the scene that would have come before that, which is the scene where Charlie gets decapitated. Yeah. by the by the pole. That's what this scene functions as, yeah. I think, in the film. Which is like the most shockingly gruesome thing you could ever imagine happens right in front of you in broad daylight.
1: Yes, and, and it's no not one even, like hidden no. from them. It's like here, come watch this happen.
0: Yes, and it's like and it's like so extreme that no one uh-huh. who is new to it knows what to do. So and
1: I think it's weird that like Josh knows what it is. Like he knows what it is beforehand and he's kind of like giggling about it. I don't know if he's like skeptical that that's actually what's going to happen, but he, he knows beforehand cause he's been like researching these people or something. Right. Uh, or yeah. Now? Uh, yeah.
0: well I, I, I don't know if he, I don't know if he, exists you know what he does know because there is that scene where they go, they're like, "What's an stupa? And then he like looks at them yeah. and he won't tell them. Remember? Yeah, yeah. And I think so. so I he's know. like maybe he's like playing he was, with
1: them. He didn't know they it was going to go that far or something. I don't know, but um,
0: yeah. yeah, or maybe he just knew it was going to happen. I don't know. I don't know what Josh's deal is. Yeah. Because also Josh I will say that Josh is pretty underdeveloped. We don't get a lot from Josh. Like Well,
1: he wants to be there to witness everything whereas there's even after this happens, he that's how he is. He's very very just interested in his thesis. Yeah. But um, you know, like the other people, like the British people freak out and are like mm. want to go home and uh everyone's afraid, Christian pukes and and Josh is just very like Fascinated with it, I guess. I think he immediately goes and like starts typing on his computer.
0: Right. Yeah. And and we should we should mention too that um, just because this death is one of very few deaths we see on screen uh, in the film, uh, the way it happens is the woman falls face first onto a rock and yeah. just smashing her face to smithereens immediately. Yeah. Uh, the man, however. When he he falls feet first, destroys both of his terrible legs, and then is still alive. So the man's family has to then walk up with a hammer and take turns bashing his yeah. face in. Which
1: a cartoonishly large hammer?
0: <laughs> yeah, like a, a hammer that a coyote might be holding to hit <laughs> yeah. a yeah, to hit a road. It's like with. a
1: Super Smash Brothers uh, like bonus weapon or something, <laughs> right? Like mm-hmm. that that big mallet.
0: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So, um So, yeah, uh after this, um everyone's freaking out. Everyone wants to leave. Like uh, Co- uh Simon and Connie in particular mm-hmm. start to absolutely lose their minds. And uh Uh Eric, hold on one sec. sorry yeah i know i had a little i had a weird uh, i think it's because all the windows are closed in my house and it's like very hot i almost fainted just now
1: are you sure it wasn't the fact that we were talking about two elderly people killing themselves by jumping off a cliff
0: it might have also been that too oh, okay uh that didn't help um oh yeah so like uh as i was saying uh simon and connie freak out the most mark is actually not there we, that that should be that should be right. said right because we yeah. get the great hilarious joke later when he's like, dude, why didn't you tell me? Why didn't you wake me up for that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but actually, I think <laughs> so. I think the funniest line in the whole movie happens right here. So it's like when Simon and Connie are freaking out. Um, uh, Pele and Ingmar are kind of trying to explain to their friends like how this is yes it's extreme and it might be different to your sensibilities but like like we don't look upon this as like being you know um as being bad this is actually like a gift this is awesome this is incredible and i'm sorry it's not pele and ingmar it's the woman right it's like the older woman who says skull at the beginning yeah she's like she's like saying like Like, basically, like, you know, I'm sorry this shocked you, but, like, in our culture, this is viewed as being awesome. And uh, then we get the line from Ingmar as he's trying to console his two British friends. He just goes, I'm sorry. I should have explained it better. (laughs) Which is, like, to me, I laugh so hard at that line because it's, like, just the idea that you could have ever explained that better. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Yeah. Right. But, yeah.
0: So, um,
1: so they're at this point kind of like freaked out, but they're all also, I think Christian brings this up where he's like, you know, um, we are in like a very, this is like a very different culture than what we're used to. And you know, it's, 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 it's different for them. Um, it's a different perspective for them than just seeing like these two people got killed. Right. right, Like, yeah. So I thought and, it was a very interesting situation, and I don't know if I would have necessarily left at that point either, because maybe that would have been, you know, disrespectful. You don't. I mean, I don't know. It's it's really hard to judge for at this point. I wh- whether so as they a, stay or go.
0: As, uh, I came from a liberal arts college that had a very uh, well-known anthropology department. Yeah. I kind of think anthropology is bullshit and stupid and I kind of, and I kind of don't like it or respect it very much this, but it's for the exact reasons that this film sort of illustrates, which is like this idea of like, Oh, we're coming into a culture to observe it and preserve it, but not change it in any way. Ends up just looking like this, like a lot of like white, people going to other countries and just watching genocides happen like yeah watching people get murdered it, it, it's sort of like i get i get the idea behind it but there's some bullshittery happening with anthropology students for sure like and, and and i think it's the same thing that you could say about like hungry journalists who are just trying to get the scoop right where right they're kind of doing it at the expense of everyone else around them. And I feel like this is a case for, uh but you're right, Eric. I think in this situation, I think they do such a good job convincing um, everyone that it's, that it's okay. I don't think I would have left either. I don't think it would have been enough for me to like call the cops or like (laughs) like, try to figure out who the authority, like how to, how to get these people in trouble. Like I would have maybe just been like, you know, Okay. Yeah. Like I and I, I mean I guess that's that's on the film's that's one of the successes of the film is that it slow boils you.
1: Yeah. It really challenges you in in this way uh yeah. a lot throughout the yeah. film. Carry on.
0: But but yeah, but so this is the moment that Christian decides that he's going to copy Josh and also make yeah. this community his thesis.
1: <laughs> this is this whole storyline and it's so funny that this happens after we've already seen like a girl murder herself and her parents, and then we've yes. seen these two old people jump off a cliff, right. um, and some of the most horrifying imagery of all time. Mm-hmm. It's funny that this tension comes up now. Um, yes, and while I was watching the movie, I go into a two-hour-plus movie skeptical that it ever needs to be that long. I think this movie. I'm actually excited to see the longer cut of it. Mm-hmm. Um. I am. After, I am also too. After watching it the first time, or just after watching it, I was like, I don't think that the thesis stuff necessarily. I don't. Th- I don't really care that like Christian and uh, Josh w- w- both wanted to cover the same thing. I don't care about that storyline, but at the same time, it kind of amplifies. It definitely amplifies this making fun of grad school that I really, really like about the movie. So I think I ultimately like it and think it's funny.
0: Yeah. I, I, I did too. I, I did feel the film's length though when watching it, I didn't think that it, I, I felt, I felt it hard actually. Um, I, it was by the end of the film, I was so ahead of what was going on that I was like, just get, to it already please like like because it it builds at such a slow pace but i think looking back i don't know how much i would have changed or what you could cut because i do like all the anthropology stuff you know yeah either way um so we kind of get a bunch of back and forth at this point in the film i think this is probably the slowest part of the film for me but it's like so danny realizes that simon and connie have disappeared she kind of mm-hmm. sees that they kind of recognize that Simon disappeared or and without mm-hmm. Connie, which is suspicious. And then Connie is just gone. And while this is happening, Christian and Josh are completely distracted with their thesis and like yeah. asking people, uh, elders in the community, about how stuff works. And it's around this time <laughs> that Mark decides to take a leak on the ancestral <laughs> tree, yeah. which is hilarious because they freak out
1: and it's not even the fact that he did it but his attitude is just like so what like who cares yeah
0: well he just keeps saying like i didn't know i didn't know like because that's what a spoiled rich american person would think like everything's okay if you just don't know (laughs) right um so then later they're at dinner uh mark gets ushered away by a female member he thinks he's going to get laid for Absolute sure. Uh, and then later that night, uh, Josh, who has already learned that uh, one of the temples houses a bunch of sacred runes and texts, uh, wants to get pictures of them. So he goes in, <laughs> sneaks into the room, uh, starts immediately taking photos of all like the weird, weirdo drawings that are in this book. Um, And then he hears someone behind him in the dead of night and he sees that it's Mark. Mark's walking up to him and he says like, uh, you know, Hey Mark, whatever, be quiet. So yeah, a figure from behind Josh uh, hits him in the head um, and knocks him unconscious. And then you see Mark walk up and it's actually not Mark rather somebody wearing Mark's skin as a suit.
1: Uh, yeah.
0: Cut to the next day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, Eric, what did you think about this sequence?
1: Um, yeah, I thought it was really disturbing. I was d- d- very tense seeing uh, from the moment that Josh gets in bed with his shoes on. And uh, <laughs> um, you know what he's going to do. And it, it I mean... You know, uh, it was inevitable, although it was like, like a lot of moments in Ari Aster films, more horrifying than I could have ever imagined.
0: Yeah, I think, I think this for me was like, definitely a like, oh shit moment. So basically at this point now we're only left with Danny and Christian. They're the only yeah. two people kind of around, <laughs> uh, Danny keeps trying to signal to Christian, like, hey, something weird's going on, but Christian is such an idiot, he can't really understand.
1: Yeah, and now he's focused on his little uh, thesis.
0: His thesis, yeah. During the dinner, they uh, they call out that like one of the books is missing, and uh, Christian is, is like immediately throws his friends under the bus
1: about it. Yeah, that was really funny when he's like, just like, I don't even know who that guy is. I, I don't even like- know who he is. Yeah. And you just
0: see Danny being like, who are you? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but this is around the time when they start trying to separate them. So um, the red-haired uh, woman has still been making Isaac Christian this whole time. Um, they uh, they separate Christian from Danny by uh, da- uh, Christian has to take a meeting with that woman, right? In that mm-hmm. in that house where yes, where he thinks that she's gonna rip into him more about the stolen book, but instead instead she's just like, "We want you to mate with this person." Yeah, and she just tells like- him straight up. Um, and then Danny is of course hanging out with the gals. She's getting ready for like this sort of. Uh, I don't know, competition that we kind of learn, we come to find yep. out. It's a bit of a competition. <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: A dancing competition where they all kind of wear their dresses and run around and dance, and you get knocked out essentially by running into someone and falling down, right?
1: Yes. You get knocked out, but you get back up again. No, you yeah. don't get back up again. You, uh, you run away. You run <laughs> away, yeah. I don't know what happens. You're, d- you're yeah. out. Yeah. It's a last man standing situation.
0: Last Man Standing, kind of a mus- musical chair situation because they're playing some. Yeah. Oh, are, are are they playing some music? You bet they are. Yeah, is it but creepy? You, drink, you bet it is. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you drink funny tea beforehand that makes you uh, trip out.
0: Danny gets crowned the May Queen by winning uh-huh. the whole competition. um, And this whole time, Christian's just sort of watching from afar, but totally knowing that he's like being groomed it, and it's of course incredibly tense this whole time um because you know i mean and again this goes into like kind of my reading of the film and me being a little bit ahead of it but like i knew the whole time they're lying yeah and that this is all a big put on and this is all a ruse so a lot of it's just like you're kind of waiting to understand for what are they doing this for like what are they getting out of this yeah. Um. As a, as like a weird cult society, so they take the May Queen off. Um. They take her into a carriage, a weird carriage that's made of flowers, and being pushed around yeah. by uh by other women. I find it funny that Danny does ask if Christian can come, and the and the main head woman says no.
1: <laughs> yep.
0: <laughs> Just tells her straight away no, because at this point they they no longer have agency. I would say at this point. It's safe, to, right? They they no longer have any agency. Right, they're basically yeah. just have to do what these people want. Uh, yep. So Danny goes off, and it's at that point where they lead Christian into a into a barn where he changes into a robe.
1: Now, Jeremy, I went to the bathroom while this was happening. I thought it'd be a good spot. Describe for me what ha- what I missed. <laughs>
0: <laughs> they so Christian changes into a robe, and then he walks into another barn to find. Maya, who's the red-haired queen, uh lying on the floor of the barn, surrounded by other elderly naked women. <laughs> yeah. And his whole ob- objective is to of course derobe and then have sex with and impregnate Maya as yep. he is the chosen one. Uh he does all this. <laughs> he does yeah. all this uh live Live on screen for us to watch. And Eric, I know you didn't really go to the bathroom during this time. Yeah, you're right. Uh, I do want to hear sort of what what was going through your mind during the sequence. Because I'll tell you, in the theater that I saw it in, it was just a, an uproar of laughter. People thought this was the funniest thing they had ever seen in their life.
1: I, I've just never, uh, this entire third act, I've never seen anything like it before. Um, yeah. And it's, it was it was just insane. Yeah.
0: So I'm going to, we we have to wrap this up actually pretty soon because I, I don't have very much longer to sure. record, but uh, I, I, I thought it'd be funny from this moment on for me to just literally say what happens yeah. <laughs> in, in sequential order. Yeah and not give any of my thoughts about it along the (laughs) way, just because I just want to hear how this sounds. So the cult helps Christian have sex with this woman and impregnate her while singing to him, while Danny does some sort of gardening with the rest of the other women. Um, When she comes back, she sees through a keyhole that Christian is cheating on her. She then goes into her room... And starts wailing, much like she was wailing earlier with when her when her parents and sister were killed. The group of women that she's with starts screaming and wailing with her. Christian runs around the campsite, trying to figure out anywhere he can hide his naked body. He then stumbles into <laughs> another barn where the body of Simon is being displayed in in what is called a blood eagle formation <sighs> where his lungs are being sort of like held like wings above his head above his God. body uh it is at this point he turns around and has powder thrown in his face effectively rendering him paralyzed when he wakes up he is confronted with the entirety of the cult who is sitting there uh, with clearly Danny as their queen covered in flowers. Yeah. And it is at this point we hear basically the ritual that we have been experiencing this whole film without knowing, which is that every midsummer they choose nine sacrifices yep. that they make to their, I don't know, God. <laughs> and... Uh, four of them have to be outsiders. Four of them have to be insiders, so people already in the cult. And then there's like a ninth one that is chosen by the May Queen. And that can either be an outsider or someone from the cult itself. Right. Um, so the four people that have already died are Connie, Simon, Mark, and Josh. So they're the outsiders. We get two people who died off screen as the, as the insiders, and then we get two volunteers, and one of them is Ingmar. And then we have the option, the Sophie's Choice, between Christian mm-hmm. and just another random guy. <laughs> yeah. And Danny <laughs> has had it with Christian so much yeah. <laughs> so that she chooses Christian to be the person to go. Yep. He is then wheeled into a room where they sew him into a dead bear's corpse. As you do, as you do, he <laughs> is then propped up in in a in basically another another uh, barn in the middle of his dead friends and two living weirdos and two other dead people. Mm -hmm. And they light that sucker on fire. And the film kind of ends with everyone in the community just screaming on behalf of the people who are dying. And then we get this great image of Danny who's screaming yet now also, it's almost like a joyous smile or laughter as she's looking kind of... Into into the sun, sort of. Uh, what would you call that type of film effect where it's uh, translucent? It's yeah. like two films, uh, two uh, two images put on top of each other, and uh, and this shot, I it was bu- it bugged me for so long. Where have I seen it before? And it's actually in Mulholland Drive. You get the same shot sort of towards the end when you see uh, staring
1: up at the sun, basically.
0: Yeah. Naomi Watts is sort of just like at the end of the film, you see where they've come and gone. And then you see the very last shot is her just like all that hopeful, just got to Hollywood vibe. Yeah. There's a, Uh, there's
1: another David Lynch shot in twin peaks, the return where it's, uh, I forget the actress. She's in, uh, mean girls, very funny and good, but, um, she's, it's a similar thing. With just like this crazed look of happiness in her eyes, yeah, Uh, yeah,
0: Yeah. and uh, and yeah, and then the score, of course, is at its at its most heightened and most intense, Mm -hmm. most insane at that point. uh, Eric, I'm
1: gonna leave this up to you, buddy. What'd you think of Midsummer? (laughs) Midsummer, um, I I've think I mentioned it's kind of been like a a ride for me just like whether or not I think I've always liked the film you know but my opinions of it have kind of uh gone up and down now I just I I think I'm back to where I was after I first saw it where this is just my one of my favorite movies I've seen in like the last five years or something um I'm excited to go and see it again I think I've kind of said all I all I want to say about this movie. I I, I really like it, and I'm looking forward to uh, covering Ari Aster's short films.
0: Yeah, and I uh, I'm in the same boat with you, Eric. I I I can't wait to do the short film episodes. I think those are going to be so fun. Uh, midsummer, I you know again, just like our Hereditary episode, there's not enough hours in the day to talk about all the different ins and outs of this film. Uh, even though I would love to, it's such a good. It is such a good example of what a film can do, as far as creating such a conversation. Like, *Midsummer* is so compelling in that it doesn't it doesn't give you enough information to fully. Mm To fully like go to bed satisfied, it's like you need that community. You need getting online. You need talking about it with people afterwards. And I think yeah, that that's, you
1: need a podcast.
0: Yeah, you need a podcast to really comb through
1: <laughs> it. Um, if you again, don't have a podcast, you don't understand this film,
0: right? <laughs> yeah, and I will say that like while it is it is fun to go through like just the plot of this film, it doesn't really capture what the feeling that this film leaves you with. Yeah. And I agree that it is complicated and, and that shouldn't be surprising from the person who made hereditary, whose ending was also equally as complicated. (laughs) Like I didn't, I felt the same way almost after both films where I was like, these are both good and bad endings for me. Like, right. I get that, that they're powerful and they're, and they're almost like, in an exploitative way they're shot and directed in this in in, in a fashion that makes them seem like triumphs right but the darker undercurrent of what's actually going on is much more sinister and in midsummer yeah this cult is wrong (laughs) go super wrong like they take advantage of these people murder them senselessly torture them and then um and sacrifice them to a uh a God who sure exists and I believe in, and worship every day, <laughs> but, uh, but still inappropriate. No, I think that, um, I think that the film ending is very, it's very divisive and rightfully so. I did hate Christian. I think he's terrible, but I also mm-hmm. didn't think he deserved to be burned alive in a, in a, in a bear, <laughs> yeah. bear corpse. Um, Eric, what did this film remind you of? Like, what are some other, what are some other films that we haven't, we haven't, touched on that.
1: Well that's one sort of the of. things that I love about this movie is I can't think of anything like it. I don't even know I I I don't know I mean I guess hereditary. <laughs> like Right. I, I don't know. Do you does something come to mind for you?
0: Well there's a great article that I urge everyone to read on birthmoviesdeath.com that is uh, it is an article about fangoria's editor-in-chief okay um who basically illustrates that midsummer is a stealth texas chainsaw massacre remake interesting and uh this is something dad wears glasses shared with me and i've been kind of sharing it around because it's it's kind of an awesome uh side by side if you go through just like the things that happen in the film and i'll just kind of briefly go through some of them uh Midsummer follows a group of young people road tripping into an unfamiliar region, just like Texas Chainsaw Massacre. You've seen the original, right, Eric?
1: Yeah, it's been a long time. Now I'm definitely going to rewatch it.
0: Yeah. Um, so basically, same same setup. Group of teens going into an uncharted uh, uh, territory. Yeah. They encounter the locals whose way of life is quite peculiar and foreign to them. Mm-hmm. Our heroes get an early sign that something isn't right when one of the locals cuts open their... their uh, their palm which of course yep is both midsummer and texas chainsaw and symbolically smears their blood onto a nearby surface
1: <laughs> oh wow interesting yep.
0: uh this doesn't phase them enough to get the f- out of dodge and things get worse from there later one of the protagonists is a uh, protagonist trespasses into private forbidden space he discovers an inbred local wearing someone else's face catches a hammer to the head and is dragged out of frame
1: Wow. Literally,
0: both kills, very similar. Yeah. One by one, the travelers disappear, but the remaining characters hang around, not realizing they're being snuffed out by the inscrutable local tribe. The last one to be killed is, is uh, incapacitated and wheeled around in a chair, but is also kind of an annoying dick, giving his death an unexpectedly cathartic <laughs> effect. Interesting. I love that. So yeah, if you don't remember there is a there's a character famously in a wheelchair in Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Okay. Who is so annoying and terrible that when he dies you're like you're confused with that emotion because you're like, "Oh, I don't know. That doesn't."
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: There's a pivotal scene set at a dinner table which I actually this was this is something I did notice and I thought was very familiar was like that sort of long uh dinner table scene between in Texas Chainsaw Massacre where she's just sort of tied to the chair and forced to eat dinner with them uh, is very reminiscent of Midsommar's even the same framing of it Uh, and of course all the foods covered in flies Um, and then finally our lead gains a terrible clarity about her situation Mm. ultimately she survives having endured a soul-shattering transformative experience
1: (laughs) Wow okay
0: yep Interesting. Uh,
1: I want to rewatch that now.
0: It is, it is uh, read the article too, because they set up gifts side by side where like shots are even very similarly composed. It's a very okay. compelling argument to be made, but I think that it's also very interesting too. If you're going to ape on something, do do Texas Chainsaw. I mean, that's like one of the greatest, most underrated horror films ever made. And this, while I think is saying something different than Texas, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Being framed in that way, I think only benefits it. Yeah, but that's
1: my two cents.
0: I ultimately, I liked Hereditary better, but Midsummer I still thought was very good.
1: Yeah. So Jeremy, if you just started listening, we used to be a Chucky podcast, uh, and <laughs> I guess next week we'll we'll we will be diving into the Final Destination films, unless we decide to do something else. I don't know, but uh, <laughs> I think that's the idea. And uh, we have two Patreon bonus episodes you can get for five bucks, including a bunch of other bonus episodes, Uh, and we are covering Ari Aster's short films, which will be very fun. And Jeremy, I just have one last thing I'd like to say to you.
0: Yes, sir. What would that be?
1: Uh, Open your email. There should be a message from uh, an email from Expedia. I got us plane tickets to Sweden. We're leaving tomorrow.
0: No shit. I've always wanted to go to Sweden.
1: Oh. I thought you'd not want to after seeing... Damn it. That's not the effect I was going for. Oh, I'm so
0: sorry. Did you think I wasn't going to want to go? Oh, no, no, no. After seeing this film, I have to go.
1: Folks, this is the end. (laughs) Friend...